Welcome to the Roboticist Chronicles, an ARC Specialties podcast, where we get into the nuts and bolts of robots, automation, and the implications of an evolving machine workforce. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Roboticist Chronicles. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. If you missed the previous episode of this series that we're doing in conjunction with 3M, make sure you go back and listen to the previous episode where we kind of dove into the basics and, and, and kind of hit on an entry level into the industry and talked about the new things that are taking place these days and, and kind of just gave a broad overview of robotics and automation. And today on this episode, we're going to dive in and take a more in-depth look at collaborative robots and advancing technologies, uh, which is going to be a really exciting conversation. And joining me once again is Dan Alford, the president of ARC Specialties. Dan? Good to talk to you. Oh, it's my pleasure. We also have Scott Barnett, Application Engineer Manager for Robotic Abrasive Processing at 3M. Scott, I'm going to learn, I'm going to memorize that entire title before this is all said and done. I, I promise you. But uh, thanks again for your uh, That'll be impressive. That'll be <laughs> impressive, Tyler. Great to be here. Excellent, excellent. And then we also have joining us Tyler Natz. He's an Advanced Application Engineer for Robotics and Automation for 3M's Abrasive Systems Division. Tyler, thank you for being here as well. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So as we talk about advanced technology and automation, um, I, I want to start off uh, with you, Scott, and, and just kind of talk a little bit more about how 3M is tailoring their abrasives to work in automation. So just kind of give us a, a broad idea of that. Sure. We, we've, got, uh, we've got a significant portfolio of abrasive solutions, uh, and, I, and, and as I categorize three of them, they really suit robotics quite well. Uh, our Cubitron 2 products have really, really long life uh, and very consistent performance over time. So it simplifies the programming, uh, but also reduces the changeover uh, time. And anytime you have changeover, often uh, if a robot cell is shut down, that's money that's being lost. So we want to have long lifetime and consistent performance. Our, our Trizac product line uh, is, is a portfolio that's really well suited for robotics because its three-dimensionality enables us to consistently expose fresh grain as the product's being used. Any of you that have used sandpaper know that when you start with a fresh sheet of sandpaper, it's nice and rough and aggressive, but it quickly, in many cases, uh, degrades, its aggressiveness reduces. So in robotics, that's challenging because you have to adapt uh, to that change, and it's difficult to know what's happening uh, as that's being changed, uh, as the aggressiveness is being changed. So having this consistent exposure of fresh grain allows us to have this nice, consistent performance over time, and Trizac products are great finishing solutions. And then our Scotch-Brite portfolio is ideal for parts where there's um, complex shapes because it conforms and com and complies to the shape of the part and also uh, helps you address parts where, uh, say, dimensional tolerance isn't so tight. And so that, that natural built-in compliance into our Scotch-Brite solutions allows the products to adapt to parts that perhaps are more variable than you would like. So we just have a really uh, good portfolio of solutions that are really well suited for, for, for robotics. Well, and I know uh, Dan really appreciates the the Trizac belt and what you were explaining there. Just having that consistency of uh, of the grittiness, I think, is is something that that uh, Dan certainly appreciates. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dan, but I know that that's something that you've highlighted in the past. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I sand by hand at home. You know, I'm, I'm a tinker, 
and, and then I sand with robots at work. And and if I'm using old school sandpaper, I can respond to the change in aggressiveness. I can apply more force. I can sand a little bit longer. But but uh, for a robot to make that kind of change is tough. It's so much easier from a robot integrator's perspective to simply have something that works consistently along its life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Dan, as we get into uh, the topic of collaborative robots, what are the basics that somebody should know and understand? What, why are collaborative robots uh, something that we should talk about in the industry? And what should people know about them? I've been doing robots since the 70s. And every time there's something new, it you know, there's a lot of a lot of vibe for a while. And then it kind of uh, plateaus out and then comes back down. And so collaborative is the same thing. Everybody got real excited about collaborative. And it's a great new technology. And I'm going to talk about the good stuff but uh, it doesn't solve all problems. It, I think of it as a Venn diagram. We have industrial robots, standard industrial robots, and then we have collaborative robots. And then there's an intersection in the middle where either one of them will work. But the, the main reason to use a collaborative robot is safety. So it, it has enough sensors on it so it can detect a collision with a human being and respond to that collision. And I, I actually take a collaborative robot with me when I do these talks at the professional societies, and I allow it to hit me, and it stops. It does a great job. I take the uh, welding torch off, and I put a machete on it and ask for volunteers. Of course, nobody will volunteer. <laughs> and, and, but at the point of my talk is the tool you put on the end of the arm changes how dangerous it is. And so that's when you do a risk assessment. But nevertheless, even if you have a dangerous tool on there, there's still advantages of the collaborative robot while programming and in other operations. So it's a great new technology. We're trying to maximize its use. Uh, it doesn't solve all problems. Now, Tyler, one of the things that, that we should mention when it comes to collaborative robots is that there's there's an effort to find ways to minimize the complexity of programming. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that and, and how that relates to your expertise. Yeah, um, that, that's one of these things that uh, is is showing up not only in collaborative, but just trying to find an easy way to program robots. Uh, but in the collaborative space, I think that's been one of their big selling points. Uh, you can pick up a pendant, uh, you can actually grab the robot and kind of move it around and guide it through the path so you don't have to jog it, save a point, jog again, save another point. You can kind of do that feed through, follow my path type programming. Uh, using all those sensors and uh, force torque sensors that are in these robots. Um, so I think that's a big reason that people are looking at them. And uh, like Dan said, there, there's a spot for them and there's ways they can really help with that. Um, but you throw a machete on there, it's a lot tougher. So we like to talk about the environment uh, that you're working with. Um, is it beneficial to have these collaboratives? Is it good to stick with an industrial one just for speed? It's a big conversation that's out there, and I definitely don't have all the answers, but it's fun to talk about. You know, Scott, I, I was talking to Corey Ryan uh, from Kuka Robotics uh, on a podcast recently, and he made the point that you have to start with the application, you know, the, the end goal in mind. You know, what application do you want this this robot to be performing? And then work backwards to determine whether it's necessary to uh, to utilize a collaborative for this process or, you know, whether it, it might just work better as just simply, um, you know, being a robot and not having to, to worry about the collaborative nature of it. So do you agree with that, that work backwards mentality of starting with what you want to accomplish and then moving backwards from there to help make the correct decisions when it comes to whether or not a collaborative is necessary and, and what you should be uh, trying to do with this? I, I certainly agree with Corey, uh, Tyler. Uh, the For me, the key is uh, at some point, 
uh, you have to understand uh, what the human interaction will be in, in the process. And, and uh, frankly, if there needs to be significant human interaction, that, that would lead you to looking at how you might be able to create a collaborative environment and whether that's with um, you know, power and force limited you know, robots or whether it's you know, separation uh, options like area scanners with an industrial robot. So you always have a variety of paths you can take, but understanding, for example, uh, human interaction in the work cell is gonna be important in what environment you're working in. But then the other is to also understanding, um, am I gonna have part in hand? Or am I going to have abrasive at hand? And, and uh, because now payload starts becoming a very important element in my discussion. How big is my part? How big is my abrasive tooling, as an example? And so that might lead you in one path versus another. So understanding all these elements guide you to your selection. And then I do want to reinforce what both Dan and Tyler said is, is you know, ease of programming is, is a space that, that is driving a lot of people. And so that obviously is part of the equation as well. How, uh, how significant of an effort would it be for a customer to, to get a substantial amount of programming and retain that programming capability? And if that becomes a concern, again, that leads you in a certain direction. So without a doubt, um, understanding uh, what needs to get accomplished and how it, it is really a driving force in terms of what direction you will head. But there's many additional questions as well along that path. Tyler, Scott touched on something I'd like to, to, to elaborate on, and that's payload. Mm. You know, obviously, if you have a collaborative robot that's going to detect your presence and stop, it can't exert uh, tons of force uh, because that's, that's more than the human body can take. And so you're, you're very much limited to maybe 10 kilograms of force. And, and some of the uh, finishing projects I've done, we've had as much as 10 horsepower at the end of the robot's arm on a tool that weighed nearly 100 pounds. Obviously, that's not a collaborative application. So one of the things you have to consider is, will the payload capacity of the collaborative robot apply sufficient force to do what you're trying to do? Up at 3M, they got a great demo. Scott can tell you about it. They remove uh, about four square, four cubic inches of metal in a matter of seconds. But you can't do that without high tool forces and high horsepower. Yeah, Scott, uh, Dan just mentioned the, that demo that that, um, that you guys have. Can, can you give us some more details on that? Sure. Uh, we we uh, we run that demo to uh, to effectively represent gate grinding on a an investment cast part, and uh, we we like to to let customers and and uh, other industry members get a feeling for how quickly we can actually accomplish this result. And, and Dan mentioned a four cubic inches in in effectively uh, typically around seven seconds, and and that is incredibly fast. But to his point we're running on a belt machine that is roughly 40 to 50 horsepower. Um, we are applying over 100 pounds of force uh, against, against the belt. And we're using uh, our Cubitron 2 abrasive belt with a very, very hard steel contact wheel in the back. And we're also running about 14,000 surface speed per minute. These are all extreme parameters that are important, number one, to get that removal rate and get the best leverage out of the abrasive. And number two, 
the thing Dan didn't mention, which I know he knows, is when I'm done removing all that metal in seven seconds, I can, uh, and if I do it properly, I can touch that bar and it's only as hot as, or as warm as a cup of coffee. Um, wow. All the heat is being ground away and there isn't enough time for it to migrate into the bulk material. It's a great application, and that's a robot application. They've got a, a large industrial robot doing that. And, and my point is, for all the potential end users out there, just be aware that if we're going collaborative, we're going to have to limit that tool force. Right. And, and you know, one of the other things that, that Tyler mentioned was speed. And Tyler, I was wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit more to that, um, because that dovetails into the safety issue as well, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's where these robots are limited just in the overall speed that they can run at. Um, Scott mentioned that there's area sensors. Sometimes that can reduce speed even more, but the max speed of these collaboratives is, is pretty slow. Um, so if you are trying to do this quick gate grind, even if their payloads were very high, just for them to be considered collaborative, their speeds can't be that high and their forces can't be that high. So there's really no relation between the two applications. Uh, where we see this more often is random orbital sanding applications. Well, you don't have to go super fast. Your forces don't need to be super high, but that's, that's where these robots live in order to be safe and considered collaborative. Right. So, uh, Dan, I want to move on and talk a little bit more about some some common use cases for for collaboratives, and and everybody can chime in here. Just in, in terms of the, the most common and maybe prominent use cases for collaboratives, as Tyler was mentioning, uh, one of them there. So, uh, Dan, where are you seeing these applied, probably uh, maybe most prominently and with the most success? Well, yeah, I'm just trying to talk about the limitations of it. I, I still think they're a wonderful tool. Uh, they're easier to program. It's more of an intuitive programming approach, uh, particularly if you use the, uh, uh, the hand guiding technique where you, you literally grab the robot and then have it move the pattern that you want it to reproduce and it, and it does it. So it, it allows people to program that really have never programmed a robot. The, one of our best applications, we were polishing these conical pressing dies. And so a company wanted these dies to be super finished so we could press the powder into the mold and have a very good surface finish on the final part. And to do that, we're having to uh, polish all the way around the circumference, around a corner, very complex shape. And so robot was perfect for the application in that the robot could make all these moves. And by using a collaborative robot with that sense of touch and the ability to maintain constant tool force, we're able to, as the, as the part change size, or more importantly, as the... Uh, the abrasive change size, particularly in the in the case of the Scotch Bright wheel, you know, it will wear down. Doesn't mean you should throw it away. It means you should simply move the part a little bit closer to the center of the spindle. And the collaborative robot, with that ability to to um, translate and change trajectory on the fly based upon loads, made it a great application. So Tyler or Scott, I'm curious from from the 3M perspective, either of you guys, uh, feel free to hop in and answer this question. Just where uh, you, from your perspective at 3M, have seen collaboratives implemented with the most success and maybe with the most impact? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take that and I'll let Tyler chime in as well, obviously. But, but you know, uh, as he mentioned, uh, random orbital sanding is probably the most common where we've seen it in the past. In a lot of cases, uh, sanding either on composite surfaces or wood where you aren't applying a lot of force. The surface is nice and gentle. 
and uh, you don't need significant reach. You're not worried about stiffness either because uh, certainly there's a, a challenge if, if that were uh, a concern. And where also your path speed isn't, isn't super critical. If you're in a high production environment and you're trying to get a lot of parts out, you know, you've got limited, limited speed as, was, as has been mentioned as well. So uh, a, a little bit more around just uh, sanding on, on fairly simple parts, low, low force applications, obviously. And then at the end of the day, we actually feel that there's a, uh, a great fit with you know, medium and small size customers as well, who again has been mentioned, maybe can't invest in the level of significant programming one would need, and maybe don't have a high production output. Yeah, and then step in there too, Scott, with some deburring applications where we can use more conformable products, maybe a complex part where you need to maintain pressure while going all the way around the part. Uh, the force torque sensors that are in these robots allow you to look in the same direction, but apply forces to the left, to the right, back towards the robot or away from the robot, where some of these other tools that have to be used um, for force control, you need to maintain that normal face where the robot has to reach all the way over there just to push back at itself. So being able to use the force sensors that are in these arms, allowing you to maintain that sense of direction. Again, they have to be with those low speed, low force applications, but it allows you to kind of be more versatile. I've seen very few where uh, the customer hasn't, hasn't designed safety uh, components, uh, safety interfaces and interlocks into the system. Almost every one I've seen has, and I think it gets back to the point that Dan made earlier about the machete, uh, an abrasive tool at the end, uh, a running abrasive tool certainly can be quite harmful to a human if it were to, to impact the human while it was running. Mm -hmm. So uh, certainly that that's definitely a, a consideration as well. Right. Yeah. That, that, I think the safety conversation is a, is a big one um, that, that I, I think that we've done well to, uh, to maybe highlight some of those, some of those various concerns and the things that need to be spoken about when it comes to collaborative, uh, collaborative robots and, and safety. And Dan, you know, one of the things that I know that you wanted to mention was, was just talking a little bit more about offline programming um, and how that has proven to be beneficial just in the ability to do things a little bit faster, um, to make sure that you're not stopping and starting and jogging all the time. So tell me a little bit more about, about that and about offline programming. Uh, the most intimidating part of a robot is a teach pendant. And uh, I have customers that have still yet to learn how to program. So we've got to make it easier to program. And another problem with teach and repeat programming is whether you're using hand guiding or jogging, you're still having to shut down production so that you can program the robot to do a new part. And if you could do this offline, then the robot can still be doing something productive while you're writing the part B program, it can still be working on part A. And so offline programming is working well. And what people don't really appreciate is it also allows you to make the perfect path. Because imagine sanding a, a complex part. You, you really want your path such that it covers every portion of, of the part. And I can do that better offline than I can do it with the robot. And so offline programming is, is doing a lot of good things, allows one programmer in his office to program multiple robots and just generally speeds up the process. 
Right. And, and then I know that laser sensors and visioning systems have also come in as we talk about advancing technology and robotics. Uh, what have those innovations really done uh, from your perspective, Dan, just to uh, make things more accurate, make things easier um, and, and make it an overall uh, more quality process? Now, both of those are technologies that I, I thoroughly enjoy using. The lasers give us extremely accurate feedback on dimensions. I mean, down below thousandths of an inch. So we can measure a part and determine where we need to work on it, you know, because sometimes you not only want to finish it, but you actually want to change the dimension. So the lasers can give you that kind of feedback either in a single point or in 2D, or even if you move them, we can get three-dimensional information. And the vision systems, we use those for a couple of different things. You can randomly orient a part in front of the robot and have the robot adapt to that orientation rather than always having to put it in the same place you can determine whether the operator has loaded part B into the robot when part A program was running. So it's kind of a, uh, a check. So, and all these technologies are great, Tyler, and, and that's what I like doing is, is the advanced technologies. But, but uh, Tyler, the 3M Tyler made a good point that sometimes you can use it simple stuff. And one of the advantages of collaborative robots is they're cheaper. And so you can use a less expensive robot and then possibly use the compliance built in in something like a, a 3M Scotch-Brite, and then we can eliminate all this cool technology, and sometimes the simple solutions are the best. Yeah, Tyler, did you want to follow up and just kind of uh, add on to anything that Dan said there, just kind of bouncing off of your previous comment? Yeah, I, I would just agree. Keeping it simple is the best and most effective way, and a lot of times that is not the case. Uh, there there have to be extra tools that are added and whatnot just to really optimize our solution. But um, Dan knows way more about vision systems and sensors and kind of getting it all tied together so that we can help him out and say, here's how to run the abrasives on this part for optimum solution. And uh, he can take care of the rest. So it makes our job easier too, working with, with these different integrators. Right. Right. Scott, I, I want to make a uh, maybe a summary statement as we start to close out this episode uh, where we're talking primarily about collaboratives. And I, I want you to tell me if you think that what I'm saying is, is accurate or, or not. So I think anytime something becomes a trendy topic or something that is a, a big topic of, con of conversation in an industry, I think there's always a, a tendency to think that it is the silver bullet or the thing that's going to solve a lot of problems. Um, and, and I think that what I've gathered from this episode is that it's important to stop and consider all of the applications that you're wanting to use this for, to consider safety, to consider programming, and consider all of these factors, and then uh, make an assessment to not put the cart in front of the horse and marry yourself to collaboratives, but to really stop and think, uh, about all of these various aspects, be it payload, speed, those types of things, and then make the decision that's right for your particular application. Do you think that that's accurate? I think I think that's completely accurate, Tyler. I would I would also make sure you add in your workforce and, and your budget, et cetera, et cetera, and and your timeline. Collaborative robots can be uh, more, you know, more uh, quicker to implement in a process as well. So, for sure. Before you choose, consider all the, all the variables and all the factors. Dan, do you have a summary statement as, as we wrap up this episode on collaboratives and, and advancing technologies? Anything else that you want to add um, as, as a way of just kind of tying a bow on this one? Well, I'd like to speak to that point he made that mm. uh, you really can't apply technology that doesn't fit your shop. I build machines that are in 32 countries, and what I put in the jungles of Bolivia is extremely different from what I put in the National Research Laboratories. You know, it's got to fit your personnel got to fit your application. 
and I tend to use the, the simplest possible application. And what you got to do is you, you look at the problem and then you look at available technology and you'll get one or two answers. Available technology is not up to the task or it is. And then if it is up to the task, what is the minimum technology that will solve your problem? You got to keep it simple. Dan, there are robots in the jungles of Bolivia? Indeed. We're uh, removing the carbide hard facing off of tool joints in the jungles of Bolivia. I'll take you there if you'd like. Yes, please. Uh, as soon as as soon as we can actually travel, uh, yeah, put me on a plane and I'm I'm there, I'm there. Uh, Tyler, don't want to leave you out. Uh, any kind of closing statements, closing thoughts about collaboratives and, and what we've discussed here on the podcast today? I yeah, I mean these guys, they both covered it very well. Um, I don't know if I could say it any better. Um, it, they're in the conversation out there. Um, if you have questions about them, just reach out to those robot uh, experts or talk to these integrators out here like Dan that can really help out and show you value and, and find that solution. Um, we're here to help out with the abrasives and find that best solution uh, for you guys. So it, it can be whatever robot is best for the job. Uh, Scott, where can people find more information uh, from 3M on, on these types of topics and on the products that you offer? Thanks for that opportunity, Tyler. It's uh, 3M.com backslash robotics. We have we have a website uh, contains quite a bit of useful information about uh, applications, products, choosing a system integrator, question and answers regarding what makes for a viable robotic process, as well as uh, important considerations and uh, ROI calculator. Excellent. Excellent. And you can visit arcspecialties.com as well for more information on what Dan is doing. That's arcspecialties.com. Uh, it's possible you're even listening to this podcast uh, from their website right now, but uh, but be sure to, to visit 3m.com and arcspecialties.com for more information. Guys, thank you so much for joining me once again for the second episode of this series. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today about uh, collaborative robots. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tyler. Absolutely. And everybody stay tuned for the third and final episode of this series that we're doing in conjunction with 3M and Arc Specialties, where we're going to be talking about bleeding edge. Uh, what is new? What is uh, is brand new that you should be aware of? And, uh, and we're going to get a, a, a thorough education on these things in the robotics industry. So stay tuned for that as well. That's it for this episode, though. I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Until next time.